Good morning, Generations Church. Welcome to our Sunday service. It is good to be with you again. Uh, just if you are watching today, please know we've gone to outdoor and online service simultaneously. And so if you want to come and join, you, join us, if you're local, if you're comfortable with that, same time, 10 a.m. here, we'd love to have you. Today we are in Exodus 14. We're going to continue our series through Exodus. Uh, I forget if it's 13 or 15 weeks, something like that, but it, we're going to work our way really quickly through the book of Exodus. And if you're joining us in our reading plan uh, on the Read Scripture app, we're working through probably just starting Exodus in your reading plan right now. So cover Genesis into Exodus, and we're doing the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, and teaching through Exodus so that we have these major themes that are going on. And then really our, our series theme for Exodus on Sundays is how God reveals himself to us in hard times in unique ways, in ways that we don't often get to learn about God in easier or more comfortable times. And so I want to read to you two verses. We left off in Exodus 13 first. And I just want to read two verses before we pray to set the stage a little bit. I'll give you your main idea that is in your app. And it's this. So Exodus 13 in verse 17 and 18, it says, Then when, the Pharaoh, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the land, by the way of the land, by the Philistines, although that was near, for God said, Lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. So here's where we are as we begin this morning. And even before we pray, just a little backdrop. Instead of taking a direct route to where God wants to go, the direct route goes by a group of people that are enemies of Israel, and so God takes them kind of a long way. And then in verse 21 and 22, it says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud, and led them along the way by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. God takes the people now just delivered out of slavery from Egypt, miraculously, amazingly, sovereignly by God, delivered out of Exodus, uh, delivered out of Egypt by the hand of God. They were paid to go. They leave rich, wealthy, a millions, of, millions of people. So here we are, a nation, and God is leading them and guiding them. And literally, I want you just to imagine this as they enter into a desert journey where we will, we will work through the first year of their desert journey in Exodus. And here's what we begin to see as they've been removed and, and, and relieved from slavery, is that out in this desert, God covers them by a cloud and leads them with a cloud over them, like kind of like shade over the top of them. And then at night, this pillar of fire in the sky that gives them light to travel. And so you can see God's goodness even after he's delivered them, that God is providentially caring for them. And that's kind of our, our idea, our main idea today, providence. And if you have the app, this is your main idea note, God's will for our good. God does amazing things for his people, though his will is often hidden to us, God's will is always for his glory and our good. And we're using that phrase over that God, it's for God's glory and for our good. And today we're going to look at that our good part, the providence of God, where, how God's will is for the good of God's people. Will you pray with me, and we will get to Exodus 14 and 15. Jesus, thank you that we get to read about you even back then, that, that God, you are there in Egypt, in slavery, in the desert as they wander with Moses, their 
un, they're, they're a bit reluctant leader. They're unwilling leader. You're with the people. You're with them when they cry out to you and they're faithful. You're with the people even when they complain and grumble and are not faithful. And that's good news, God, because we too, as your people, sometimes we're super faithful and sometimes we're way off base. Sometimes we grumble and complain. And what we need to know is that you are working for our good. You're working for your glory, but also for our good. As your people, you work your will for our good. That is your providence. That is who you are. And so, God, as we look at this today, may we see that in our lives. May we see that in Israel. May we see that in your word. May we see that, most importantly, in your character, so that we may know you better, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Exodus 14, we're starting in verse 1. It says, Then the Lord says to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pahahiroth and between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal Zephon. And you shall camp fa encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land and the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And the people did so. Or, and, and Moses and Aaron did so. So here's where we begin. As they've been released from slavery, God is continuing to speak to Moses, who is leading the people. And he says, tell the people not to go this way, right? We don't want them to go over by the Philistines. Go this way, and we're going to park them over by the Red Sea. And so this pillar of cloud by day and this pillar of fire by night is leading them. But God has again told Moses in advance what God will do. And he says, listen, I'm going to put you here. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart another time. Right now, he's already released you, but again. And I, will, and I will show my hand in this. He's going to come and pursue you, but I've got it handled. And so I want to ask this question of you today. And I'm going to ask it a few times, almost probably too many times. Make it a little uncomfortable for us today. But if God has been faithful to do exactly what he says he will do, and then he asks us to do something that we don't understand. Should we trust him? Now, I know that sounds like a, a no-brainer question, but maybe, almost maybe it's a trick question, right? If, if God has been faithful to do exactly what he says he will do, and then he asks us to do something that we don't understand, should we still be faithful to God? It feels like we should know this answer, right? Let me put it in the text, right? Consider the Israelites, whom God has fit, led faithfully, and he's now going to call them to do something they don't understand. Should they remain faithful to trust him, to follow him, to do what he says? Now, we know intuitively that the answer is yes. But let's keep asking that question and, and see how the people in, the real life, in their real life, how they respond to him. So verse, verse 5. When the king of Egypt, or Pharaoh, was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this that we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots in Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. We've learned a lot about the character of God. We've seen God's omniscience, that he knows all things. We've seen his omnipresence, that he is there 
all everywhere at all times throughout history and yet also right now simultaneously everywhere we've seen his omnipotence his all power right that he is sovereign or that he answers to no one and he controls when he needs to harden pharaoh's heart he will he can do that he doesn't answer to anyone he does he is not subject to pharaoh's will we've seen him restore people that have been thrown away and make them a wealthy nation we just saw that last week that redemption theme that restoration theme, making them a people and today we're going to see the providence of god how god acts not just for his glory though that's true but for our good and so as he's doing this he's he is now hardening pharaoh's heart one more time and so if god has been faithful to do what he says he will do if he's done that all along and then he asks us to do something that we don't understand should we still follow him should israel still follow him and we we know intuitively the answer is yes and we we keep looking and we're wondering okay why would you ask that question over and over again but remember that question could really blow up in our faces and as we watch the real lives of real people who are being asked by god to do things that they may not understand yet god has been faithful god has proven himself over and over again his character is faithful his word is trustworthy. His power is all-powerful and sovereign. So God will do what God will do. And, and he says, here's what I will do, but it doesn't make sense to you and me, or it doesn't make sense to Israel. What does a human response in that moment really look like? So verse 9, the Egyptians pursued them. All the Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army overtook them and encamped them at the, at the sea by Pi-Hahirath. It's a really hard word to say. In front of Baal, Zephon, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly, it says. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there was no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Have, why have you done this thing in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. They cry out to Moses, what were there not enough graves in Egypt for us to die there that you had to bring us out to this wilderness to die? Moses, why? God, why? Why are you doing this? Behind us is the Red Sea, and, and if you've been to the Red Sea, it's gigantic. You can't see the other side of it. It's, it's massive, and they're, they're pinned in by this water, and here comes the Egyptian army. Egypt is the largest, most powerful nation on the planet at this time. Of course, not as powerful as God, but the most powerful human force, and they're marching at them, and they camp just outside of them. You just imagine, just kind of at the end of what your vision can see, there's this massive army and chariots and, and horses and soldiers, and, and you can see and hear and you know, tomorrow, tomorrow this is going to get weird. Tomorrow this is going to be bad. And here's the response of the people. Moses, why have you brought us here to die? But then they, they go further and he says, Remember what we said to you in Egypt, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. And if I remember correctly, and, and I think I'm right, it was just shortly ago, they kept crying out, God, deliver us. How do we get out of slavery? Like they never said, leave us here, let us be alone. No, we're good. We totally want to be slaves. It's all good. It's cool they beat us. It's cool they don't pay us. It's all good. 
No, they said, deliver us, get us out of here. God, please come rescue us. God sends Moses, they're out. And, and the, the they're out is an overstatement. They're miraculously out, paid to be out, left wealthy out. And now, same people that have over, already been overcome by God are now the thing they're afraid of. And I just want to not put them down. I want to just put ourselves there and admit we fall short in this area too. Even when God has been super faithful, even when God has been repeatedly faithful over time, we get to a place where we don't understand it. And yes, we should obey God. And yes, we should trust God. And, and there's probably a way we could, but we don't always. That we don't always find ourselves trusting in the God who has been so trustworthy to us. So here we are. Are there no graves? Are there not enough graves in Egypt yet to bring us out to the wilderness to die? They blame the leader. Moses, why? God, why? Right? So here we go. Verse 13. And Moses said to the people, fear not and stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. The command, fear not, or the encouragement, fear not, is the command that is said to be uh, the most prominent command in all of Scripture. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't go count or look up other ones. But from, my, from what I can tell, it seems to be, it, it ranks up there. Uh, just fear not. God's saying, don't be afraid. I'm in charge. Listen to the comfort and the promises that God makes to the people through his servant Moses. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. Remember, in this, series, in this series, we're talking about how God reveals himself uniquely in hard times, right? Because we're going through hard times in our own lives right now with coronavirus and racial tension and politics and economy and virus, just all the things and fires in California and floods on the other side of the country and just all that's going on. We're in hard times. No, we're not slaves, but we're also, to be fair, not on the run of the wilderness either. We're going through hardships. And God reveals himself in unique ways in these times. Moses says so much right here. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. I, I like to giggle and kind of think that God said all those things except for the be silent part and that Moses kind of threw that in on the end. Like, hey, so just please quit complaining, right? But we just see this idea of God going to reveal himself. God will fight for you. God will reveal salvation. See, God, we can't see God fight for us if there's no fight to fight, right? If there's no hurdle to overcome, no enemy to overcome, there's no fight to fight. We can't see God fight for us. It's in these hard times where God is revealing who he is, how he works, how he loves us, how he leads us. Verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. This is the divine, holy version of suck it up, go, right? Like it's time. Quit talking to me about it. Like I got this. You know I've got this. You know I can do this. I've got this handled. Go, right? It's just time to go. Verse 16, he says, Moses, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. This feels like a crazy, miraculous, like trust fall kind of thing that God is doing with Moses right now. 
Have you ever gone to a camp or a team building exercise or your buddies played a joke on you in the mountains maybe? I don't know. But there's a trust fall. When, they get, when you have to stand, you can't see anybody behind you and you just have to fall straight back trusting your friends, your family, your, your team are going to catch you, right? And this is kind of what it feels like for me for Moses. Moses, stretch out your staff over the water. I can just imagine just kind of running straight south from here and, and into Seal Beach or Sunset Beach or Huntington or wherever and just kind of hit an ocean and imagine we're hemmed in by ocean and that's, that could kill us and, and back here is the Egyptian army which would for sure kill us and, and God's like, just stretch out your staff over the water. Imagine that moment where you pick up your staff and you're trying to figure out, okay, God, I don't really know what you're doing here, right? Are you going to ask us to walk into this sea? Like, what am I doing? Last time I held my staff over water, it turned into blood. That's not going to help us, right? But if God has been faithful all along, if he's been faithful and done everything he's going to do, and then he says, I want you to do something that you may not understand, but I want you to do this, what are we to do that? We're, are we supposed to be obedient? And, and we all know the answer is yes. But imagine you're Moses right now. Imagine you're Israel right now. And just imagine how hard it might be. Verse 17, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians that they shall go in after them. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Here's our repeated phrase in Exodus. I said it earlier, but God does, and then it's whatever we've been talking about. God does blank, if you will, right? For his glory and for our good. I want you to hear this. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. This is for God's glory. God is revealing himself. Glory to his people that they will know him, that they will see who God is. Even glory over Egypt, that the Egyptians will know that this is God. And just remember this story, and right around plague 7, 8, or 9, the Egyptians started listening to what Moses had to say and saving themselves from some of the plagues. And so you know these Egyptians have heard of this God, and, and if he defeats Pharaoh's army, how many Egyptians might come to faith through this or, or whatever? And God is saying, I'm, gonna, I'm going to have glory over this. I'm going to drive glory for myself. I'm going to reveal who I am through this. Verse 19, it says, Then the angel of God, and if you have been following along at all, uh, you know that the angel of the Lord is Jesus, right? Not an angel, not anybody. The angel of the Lord who was going down before the host of Israel moved and went in behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was cloud and the darkness. And it lit up the night without, uh, with, without one coming near the other all night. So you can imagine the people up against the sea and the cloud covering over and then it's getting darker and this cloud cover however God did this turns into a cover of fire this pillar of fire that would light their way and all of a sudden the cloud kind of moves in in front of them as they turn and as they look at the ocean as they look at the sea excuse me the red sea and then behind them is this cloud that that kind of takes them out of the vision of Egypt, and yet the light guides their way, and now God is beginning to move. And, and literally, Jesus, before he became flesh, Jesus, the creator of everything, Jesus, God eternal, is there with them, leading them, guiding them, caring for them, making sure that they get where they need to go. 
Verse 21, and it says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. If you've ever seen a movie recreation of this, this is the, this is the part where Hollywood will spend the money to make this effect really work. And it's a powerful visual, whether it's cartoon or, or in real life, even the old one uh, of, of Moses and, and, and the Exodus. It's this powerful idea that the water begins to separate for absolutely no reason. And you get this image of just what it says, these walls on either side just of water. It's like I just imagine like a clear wall holding water back, maybe like down at the aquarium since we live here, it's close, uh, just water coming up to you, but there's no aquarium wall. There's just water. And then whatever's in the water is right there. And you, you've got to know this, this moment with, with Moses as he grabs his staff and he, his, his, his job is to do this, like to take his staff and to hold it out over the water. And God is going to part the water somehow. And you've got to know that moment where Moses took that step of faith, where he, he lifts his he lifts his staff up, and everybody's looking, and he's, he holds it out, and he doesn't know what to expect. But God parts, literally parts the Red Sea. But more than that, not just a miracle of the Red Sea, but dries the ground underneath them. Remember, this is millions of people with cattle, herds, flocks, all of this, and they are loaded down both with food and with gold and with silver. They leave Egypt a wealthy nation, and that's why Egypt wants to come and get them and bring them back in because it's too much that was lost there. Israel is a wealthy nation of millions, and they're getting ready to walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. Imagine this question. Just imagine you're there and you're Israel. You've already tried to put yourself in the place of Moses as he takes this step and everybody's looking and then imagine you're Israel and God is calling you to walk into the Red Sea. You've seen the miracle. You've seen the water part. You can see walls of water. I don't know how deep. I don't know how tall. I imagine them to be very big. But as they do this, imagine taking that step in. Like these walls could come down at any moment, clearly, and kill me. And do we really, are we going to walk? Millions of us are going to walk all the way through there. Is that, what, is that what you're doing, God? And remember our question, if God is over and over and over, continually, always faithful, but then he calls you to do something that just doesn't make sense, how are we to respond? Like Moses, we're to hold that staff out. With everybody looking, we just kind of take that step of faith and hold the staff out and just pray, okay, God, this is your moment, not mine. My job doesn't really do anything here. And then if you're Israel, like, man, if he held the walls back, held the water back, we're going. We're in. Like, God is our only hope, because back there's a gigantic army. And God has got us hemmed in right here, and God has created a way. It's time to take that step of faith. And we know how hard that first step is. And you know there were some Israelites that as they, as they took that first step, they're like, okay, is this really, like, can I get a horse across here? What's going to happen? But they take that step. They put their foot in. They put their hand out. They move their people through. Verse 23, And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. And in the morning, the, in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and out of the cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee, 
from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. This is kind of a funny line, and, and just remember, I've said that this, the Egyptian empire, this massive, uh, this massive human force, this nation empire, uh, is the most profound and powerful empire on the planet at the time. But in this moment, they don't seem so brilliant, right? As they get in there, and they're just, they're drawn into this thing, and uh, just, you gotta, again, step out of your story for a minute and imagine you're Egypt. And so this cloud covers over Israel, and you're not sure what's going on, and there's this pillar of fire that everybody can see, and it's like, and it's getting further away, and you're like, I think they're running. I don't know where they're running to. It's the Red Sea right there. Maybe they got boats. I don't know what's going on. Let's go find out. And, and the Egyptians move into this cloud, and this cloud cover disappears or dissipates or does something, and, and there's, there's the Red Sea, wide open, with a path in the middle, walls of water. And so the Egyptians go in. Now, you've got to pause at that moment and wonder, what were the Egyptians thinking as they go in? Like, why would they pursue that? It's hard enough with God saying, listen, I got you covered. Go through there. Imagine you're Egypt, right? Sometimes, man, our sin, our desires just cloud our judgment. Here's a note for you. Uh, and I know this is not probably the biblical, theological, politically correct term, but how sin makes us stupid. On the other side of the story, not God's providence, but, the, but human sin we see an army of Egyptians die in the sea because they refuse to submit to God. Like, how, how hard-heartedness and sin makes us dumb sometimes. Like, that we would literally, we want something sinful so bad that we want something that God's not given us so bad that we're willing to walk through walls of water in the Red Sea, that we're going to pursue the wealth and the, the slavery and, and the nation of Israel. We're going to do that. And God just the moisture he removed to give dry ground to Israel, he just puts back in. And then eventually as they start to get clogged up and they're all in the middle of the water, right? They've already entered in and it's too late to go back. And all of a sudden they start getting all muddied up in the, in the middle of it. And then God just releases it. And he's been restraining water for so long and he releases it and he consumes the Egyptian army. They went in to pursue power and wealth and this people group that they were slaves and it just consumed them and literally took their lives. Verse 26, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so the water may come back upon the Egyptians. So I've kind of got ahead of the story here, but upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered all the chariots and the horsemen. But all the host of Pharaoh that had followed him into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. For God's glory the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea, it says. For our good, for the people's good, it says, the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. For God's glory, a, a wicked nation was consumed. For our good, God restrains even nature and science. A lot of you guys know I'm teaching a Bible class at the, at the Christian school here, at the Christian high school to high school seniors and, one of, and I just asked what, what everybody's questions about Christianity, faith, doctrine, theology, whatever it is. And a lot of questions came back about 
What about, you know, when the Bible contradicts science? Well, I'm going to go with the Bible. Clearly, you guys know that about me. Like, I'm going to say, this is what happened, right? And I'm sure there's a lot of conversation they want to have about creation and all that, and we're getting ready to get into that. But God violates science right here, right? Water does what water does. God violates that. And water seeps into the ground and makes it muddy and does that. But God violates that too because God is sovereign. God answers to no one. God doesn't answer to science. He doesn't answer to gravity. He doesn't answer to water. He doesn't answer to Pharaoh. He doesn't answer to you and me. God does what God does. God is sovereign. But what we get to learn is that what God does is for his glory and for our good. As he consumes a wicked nation, he also provides for his people. While making his name great, he also benefits his people. So here's the doctrine of providence. Here's a note. It's in your app. God's will for our good. God does miraculous, supernatural science. That's supposed to be science. Science violating things, both to glorify himself to the world, but also to cause good for his people in the world. We get to see God and also be blessed by God when God moves on our behalf. God answers to no one. God is the ultimate supreme power and authority. Again, not to nature, not to science, not to humanity, not to kings, not to presidents, not to you, not to me. God is God, and God's will is God's will. And when God moves, he moves for his glory and for the good of his people. Now let's just... Zoom out of this for a minute and place ourselves right back here in 2020 and all the things that are going on in our lives. And sometimes we just can't see where God is. God, where are you in coronavirus? Or where are you in the racial tensions, the the death of George Floyd or the, the police shootings just last weekend or the violence and the protest and then how people have politicized the virus, the racial stuff, and just, and just all these things, how politics have become so corrupted. And then you have the fires and the flooding and you have all this stuff, the air quality outside. And God, where are you is a fair question. But the reason that it is okay to ask that question is because God answers. But God has revealed himself. We know who God is. And we know God has a plan. We may not know the plan. We know that God's plan, though, will glorify God, and it will ultimately work out for our good because we are his people, and God is a good God. Verse 31, it says, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Right? The people saw God. God was glorified to his people. They, they found, they saw, they learned, they, they, they were, it was revealed his character to them. Even through crazy circumstances, in fact, especially through crazy circumstances, God is continually revealing himself to people, to you, to me, to Israel. In the midst of this, God meets with us. God reveals himself. Now, just knowing that God shows his character throughout hard times teaches us about himself uniquely in hard times in ways that we don't often get to learn in easier times doesn't mean we all get to see it. What, what, what often is missed is when we give up looking, when we sit it out, when we like, this is too hard, and we just hang a right turn and just kind of check out, right? Well, when we are faithful and remain pressing into God, God shows up and God reveals himself. God teaches us about his character, provides miraculous solution, amazing solution for us. God's glory and our good. When we're invested in seeing that, we will learn in these hard times. 
Exodus 15, starting in verse 1, says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang the song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. So I, I've been saying this, and we've seen this now two or three times in Exodus, but when God reveals, when God shows up, when God does something amazing, when God speaks, when God meets us in church, whether that's online or in person, when God shows up, what is the appropriate response? When we look to scripture, what is the response? And the response always, I think, is worship. That people worship when they've seen, they've met with, they've found, they've seen God. They've experienced God. Their response is, I think, almost always worship. Teaching us, what should our response be when God provides? It should be worship. What, what, what should God's response be? As much as I know screen time is burning everybody out, and online church is not what everybody wants, and we're kind of in this place, let us be thankful for the internet. Uh, let us be thankful and grateful that we've been live streaming for years. In fact, we were live through before and live through coronavirus. We only started recorded messages when we went outdoors because we can't get the right internet connection out there to do it live and have one service. So we're recording and doing outdoors, but they're running at the same time. But let's be grateful that we have that. Let's be grateful for the community groups and the Zoom meetings, the things that we can do. Let's be grateful for the church around us that loves us and calls us and cares for us. And if that's not your experience with that, please reach out to me. We want to know who you are. We want to know, especially if you're not in a community group, we have a really hard time knowing who you are and where you are and, and how to care for you. Please let us know and, and let, us, let us press into each other and to God in these hard times. So they worship as a response to God revealing his character and his power and his glory. And the, the Israelites worship God for who he is. Verse 3, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and the host of the cast, uh, the, and the host he cast into the sea and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand. O Lord, shatters the enemy in greatness of your majesty. You overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. Can we worship God even for his judgment and destruction on evil? I, I would say yes. He is defending his people. He is, he is judging and destroying and killing, literally eliminating people. But they're evil people. And they're against God's people, and they're against God. Yes, we can worship that. We can celebrate that. When, when evil is triumphed over, godly people can worship. Verse 8, at the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. I love that line. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed at the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword and my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind and the sea covered and they sank like lead in the mighty waters. I hear this and I was just drawn to the gospel. And I, maybe this worship and maybe this story right here, maybe that's not a natural tie to the gospel for you, but when I hear of, of God overcoming the Red Sea and overcoming evil and, and doing this, I'm just, I'm reminded of Jesus. There's a, a verse in Matthew where, 
It says, and Jesus said to the disciples, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith, right? They're out in a boat and there's this storm on the waters and they're freaking out and Jesus is asleep. So they wake him up and he says, why are you so afraid of, oh, you of little faith? And then he rose and he rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm, it says in Matthew. There was a great calm. See, for me, that's, that's a gospel that is just so profoundly summarizes the gospel. And I know we always think of like forgiveness and heaven. Maybe that's you know, kind of the sum total of the gospel we hear sometimes. But, but the gospel is that God created us and loves us and wants a relationship with us, desires us. But we have run the other way in sin, that we are running away from God. And that separation has grown so great. Our sin is so great. We, we can't now be in relationship with God because of our sin. So Jesus enters the story. And yes, Jesus gives his life to forgive our sin. And Jesus is buried to restore that covenant and, and pay the penalty for us restoring us to God. He was resurrected to give us new life. And he ascends back to heaven. He fills us with his Holy Spirit. But it's in this, it's in this moment when we come to faith that and we're in relationship with Jesus that we get to see the Jesus that overcomes the waters. And Jesus calms the storms in life. That doesn't mean there aren't storms, right? It's not that Moses and Israel aren't in a sea. They're in a sea. They're just protected from it. And Egypt is not. They're in, and Egypt is in, and God collapses the peace where Egypt is, and Israel continues on dry ground. And, and we, we need to remember that it's not coming to faith doesn't take away storms, doesn't take away problems. In fact, sometimes it, it makes us enemies of the world, and we just, it doesn't even cause problems, but in the moment, in, that, in the midst of the storm, Jesus calms the sea. It says, and there was great calm. And the people worshiping, they sank like lead in the mighty waters, but you, God, you brought us through safely. You see, the gospel is this, that when we're in Christ, no matter the storm, we're at peace. No matter what takes place, our God is God over that. That God is greater than science, that God is greater than nature, that God is greater than the virus, that God is greater than what divides us. God is greater than race. God is greater than politics. God is greater than the Democrats and the Republicans. God is greater than the fires and the hurricanes. God is greater and that's our response. We worship the God who is great because even in the storm, we are given great calm. Verse 11 says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you among all the idols and false things that people worship? Who is like you, Lord? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. He says, Who are these other things, other people, and we... We have worshiped. There's no one like you, God. You see, following Jesus means denying everything else. It means laying down everything else that would get in between you and Jesus, me and Jesus, us and Jesus, us as a church following Jesus, you as an individual, me as an individual. It's getting everything aside. And Titus, Paul says to this pastor, Titus, he says in, in Titus 1, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They say they know him. They say they're Christians, but they live differently. He says they are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. He says they say they worship Jesus, but it looks their lives like, look like they give their lives to everything else. And that's really hard for us. We live in this world. We get caught up in this world. We get 
caught up in political systems. We get caught up in, in, in like, I'm divided by this or look like this or li- look like this person or don't look like this person. We, we get caught up in the things that we can see and we let that consume us. When we make money or we run out of money and we let that consume us, we get power or we lose power and we, and we, may, we allow that to consume us. And then we realize, you know, we really give worship to power. We give worship to money. We give worship to what color we are, we aren't, or whatever. We give worship to status and home and what car we drive or what school we go to or if in school or online. We give, we, we give worship to oftentimes even the form of worship we have. We end up worshiping the form and not the God who gave it to us. And in this, Paul reminds us, listen, that they say this, but they look so different. That to follow Jesus is to lay all the rest of that down. That it's, it is us together with Jesus. And whether that's online right now or, or hopefully, or there's hopes that we'll, it'll be different soon. And, but whether it is or it isn't, we still worship Jesus. Whether the church down the street opens up and we don't or whatever, it's us together following Jesus. Because we've laid everything else down and it's just us and Jesus. One thing we'll, the church will learn going through coronavirus, is that the church has become so dependent upon a Sunday service, and church is a collection of people. Church is a gathered people. Church is Christian people, brothers and sisters, who have called themselves a body, that they serve one another, love one another, grow one another, care for one another, weep with one another, laugh with one another. It isn't a Sunday service. We love our Sunday service, but that's not church. The building will never be the church. Coronavirus exposed that for so many of us that we are just dependent upon Sunday mornings inside these four walls. And I I pray that we're stronger and deeper on the other side. Verse 13, it says, you have led your steadfast love. In your steadfast love, the, the people whom you have redeemed, you have guided them by your strength and your holy abode, that redemption you've made things that were of nothing, of, of no accord. You've, you've made them something great, right? You've taken from death to life. This redemption theme is what we talked about last week. Verse 14, it says, the peoples have heard, they tremble, pangs. They've seized the inhabitants of Philistia. That's the neighboring people. Now we are chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of, Co- of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. This is all God's glory on the nations who don't even work, who don't even worship him. It says, they are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. They're now, they're now treating us different. They're, they're fearful of even us because of you, God, because God, you are so big. You are so great. You will bring them, verse 17, and plant them in your own mountain in place, O Lord, which you have made your abode, your sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord will reign forever and ever, they worship. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Verse 19, when the horses of Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked by dry ground in the midst of the sea. We see again providence. We see God's goodness so there's a note for you, the doctrine of providence, theological providence is about God's will being exerted for our care and good. God's sovereignty protects his people and we respond to him in worship, right? Theological providence, God works his will for our good. We see God get his glory too, we see that, but he does it for his people. He is glorified so that we will know him, so that others will know him, but he also works his will for our good. Verse 20 
Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing, and Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider was thrown into the sea. The women go out, and they continue to worship, being led by Miriam. Verse 22, Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went to the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah, and the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? I just want you to know, we go right from worship to complaining. Verse 21, worship. More worship. Verse 20 was other worship. Then verse 21, more worship. Verse 22, hey, we don't have any good water. And I think it switches that fast for all of us. I think we can go so fast from God, you are so good, to oh, so frustrated, so grumbling, so complaining. So here's our question again. When God has been faithful all along, when God continues to be faithful, reveal himself as faithful, but he calls us into something that we don't understand, are we still to be faithful to God? And the answer is repeatedly yes. And when God arrives, when God shows up, we worship. But when we don't understand, we still follow we still trust because God has still been good. And so we see this, but God, there's no water. It's all bitter. We're going to call this place Mara, right? If you know the book of Ruth, Mara means bitter. Verse 25, and he cried to the Lord, meaning Moses, and the Lord showed him a log and he threw it into the water and the water became sweet. And there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases that I put on the Egyptians on you. For I am the Lord, your healer. And then they came to Elam, where they were 12 springs of water, and 70 palm trees, and they encamped by the water. So I'm going to, just one more time. If God has been faithful to do exactly what he says he will do, and then he asks us to do something that we don't understand, should we still trust him? And we know the answer is yes. So the next question is then why don't we? If God says trust me in coronavirus, why don't we? If God says trust me in racial tension, why don't we? If God says don't trust in man and especially don't trust in politicians, why do we? When God says trust in me alone, I am your solution. I am your healer, he tells them. I am your provider. If you listen to me, if you walk with me, if you obey me, you won't have any of the diseases of the nation around you. You won't have any of that. Imagine we took that to heart at the beginning of this and we just began to pray and follow God. And I'm not suggesting anybody who got sick was disobedient. I'm just saying, what if we, what if we really trusted God? The church has been so problematic in coronavirus and, and, and we all want to be together. But the church has been so divided and so... Uh, ugly, outspoken, online, and, and I just, we're trusting in human solutions. We're not trusting in the God who works all his will for our good. I want to leave with that, like, when we don't know what's going on, what we do is we press in. When we see God, we worship. When we don't know, we keep pressing in. We press into one another, we press into God. We lean into Jesus who calms the storms, knowing the storm's still going to be there. He just gives us calm. I want to close with these words from the psalm that, that, that is later written and speaks about this moment so well, so beautifully. And I will leave you with this, asking why don't we trust this God who is so good? 
Psalm 77 says this, Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Generations Church, God leads us through the water. We don't always see his footprints, but we have his hand, we have his guidance, we have, his, we have the power of God with us. We have his faithfulness to rely on no matter what our circumstances, joblessness, homelessness, friendless, hopeless, trapped in a virus, trapped in these tensions, fearful about tomorrow, we have God to trust. When there's an army behind us and a sea in front of us, we know sometimes it just takes that crazy step of faith for what God has said, where God will move. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Let those words comfort you today, wherever you are, whatever struggles you, let that comfort you. God is the same then and now. Same God, still trustworthy. Let's pray. God, you are so good, and we admittedly are so flawed. And, and we fall short, and we don't trust, and we don't obey, and, and we trust in human solutions that we know really can't fix anything. No virus is our hope. God, you are our hope. I mean, no vaccine for a virus, no solution to a virus. But no, vac no, 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 no viruses is also should be our fear, God. We, we fear nothing. We have you. If we get it or we don't, we have you. To live is Christ, to die is gain, Paul says, we have nothing to lose. And you are faithful, and you are just, and you are trustworthy every single time, and yet we still question you. Like Israel, coming out of the water and worshiping and worshiping and worshiping, and then their worship, they worship so much they get thirsty, and the water's bitter, and they go right back to complaining. God, that is so us. Forgive us, Lord. Let the Spirit of Jesus who rose from the dead, who calmed the sea, let that spirit calm our souls. Jesus, continue to reveal the very character and nature of God to us, that we will be drawn nearer and nearer to you. Let us follow you. If it's into the water, it's into the water. If it's into the fire, it's into the fire. If it's into the storm, it's into the storm. If it's following you by being silent and safe and cautious at home, then let us do that but let us follow you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.